Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning, Lord. And, and God, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you. We, th- we thank you that we get to come together uh, as, as one body, as, as, as a church, to sing your praises and sing about how wonderful you are. And then we get to open up your scriptures and, and see what it is that, that, you have, that you have left for us, the, the truth that is, it, that is your word. God, we pray that your spirit would work in this room. We pray that as we go through uh, Matthew chapter 6 here, that, that, that your spirit would work in our hearts and, and grow us and develop us and increase our faith and our love for Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that, that same prayer for what's happening downstairs with the kids and, and the ministry team down there, Lord. We pray that, that your spirit would work through them. We pray that that those kids would hear the gospel and, and they would be transformed by your spirit. Father, we pray these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, um, so uh, in Matthew, uh, or in verses 6, uh, chapter 6, sorry, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Jesus addresses giving, uh, just giving and generosity, and he's, he talks about the hypocrisy behind giving. Now, let me just uh, say up front, I know that a lot of times when, when a pastor stands up at a church and talks about giving, it can come across as, um, as the church only wanting your money. That is not the case. Uh, we are not interested in extravagance or any of that business, uh, but giving and generosity is a spiritual issue. And so as a church, we go through the scriptures verse by verse. Uh, that's how we do it here, and Jesus covers it in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. If you are not a member or a regular attender, if, if Heights Baptist Church is not your home, please give to your church. Please give generously to your church, and allow me just to say that right up front. Okay, so in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, what Jesus is doing is he's, um, he doesn't, essentially what he's saying is he doesn't want us just to do what is right. Doing what is right is good and is needed, but Jesus wants more. Jesus wants us to do what is right for the right reasons, right? There's a big difference there. He doesn't want um, empty behavior modification. Jesus wants us to do the right thing for the right reason because Jesus knows our hearts, Okay, he's concerned for our motivations behind what we're doing. He does not want us pursuing just this religious checkmark type of lifestyle. Right? Jesus cares about the reasons behind it. Jesus does want good works. He, he does want us to obey and follow him and do great things. But he doesn't want us to do it for our glory. He wants us to do it for his. And that matters. So throughout this passage, what we're going to see, as we've already read, uh, really throughout, um, throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to 
essentially just torch the Pharisees. He uses them as an example of what not to do, of what not to believe, and, and how not to behave. And so as Jesus does this, as he's uh, kind of hammering the Pharisees, his words, we'll see, have, have a specific application to people who, are, um, people who are active in their church, people who are faithful Christians but who are doing and, and serving in their church. Because Jesus knows that it is possible for religious people or faithful people to be deceived. And so Jesus gives us this warning. And so here he teaches that a real righteousness, or a righteousness that, that God has, has put in our hearts uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit is expressed in life and in actions. But that we must be careful for our motivations. And so as you seek to serve the Lord and serve your church and, and do incredible things, your motivations behind those actions matter. And they should matter to you as well. We can't just go through the motions of doing what looks righteous. Instead, our righteousness must flow from a changed heart. Now, that's what we're looking for. So here in this passage, we learn uh, really at least three, there's more, but three truths from, from Jesus about giving. And that's what we're going to look at today. So the first one is we must guard against hypocrisy. We absolutely must guard against hypocrisy. The followers of Jesus Christ must guard against hypocrisy, okay? And we find this uh, in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Right, that's verse 1. Now, giving to the poor was not necessarily a big issue in Jesus' day. Right? It wasn't a problem in his day. They, they had a lot of problems, but this was not one of them. In fact, in the synagogue, in the synagogue, you would, have been, you would have been taxed. And a part of that money that's brought in from these taxes would have been given to the poor. Okay, that's, that's just part of how it was. There were no government agencies. You know, there's there no welfare or any of that business. And so uh, the synagogue tax, uh, a large part of that would go towards helping the poor and caring for the poor and, and doing those things. And so um, that was done by the synagogue. But then over and above the mandatory synagogue tax, uh, people would give out of their generosity as voluntary, completely voluntary. Uh, free will offerings or alms, they'd be given to the poor. And so you'd, you'd come in and you'd give to the, the synagogue tax and that would help pay for, you know, the building and all of that business. And some of that would go to the poor. But then uh, if you were feeling particularly generous or you, or you wanted to give more, uh, then you could do that. And then that went directly to those who, you know, who couldn't feed themselves or were homeless, things like that. So that's how, that's how this was done in Jesus' day. But Jesus saw, Jesus saw that it was being done all too often with the wrong motives. Now, we're not talking about the tax. We're talking about uh, the, the giving that was done over the tax. The law had commanded that the people of God care for the poor through offerings. We see that from, from Genesis all the way through Revelation. What we see is that God cares for the poor. God cares for people who can't care for themselves. And God calls his followers, his church, to care for the poor, okay? And so uh, Old Testament and New Testament, that's something that, that God tells his followers to do, to care for the poor. 
And that's done oftentimes through offerings. Jesus himself in the Gospels told his disciples that they were to give and to give alms and to care for the poor. But his concern is not how much is being given to the poor. His concern is the motivation behind that giving. Because remember, Jesus sees the heart. He doesn't just see the actions, he sees the heart. So the Pharisees were giving their offerings, they're giving more than what they were taxed, in order to receive the approval or the praise of men. It was uh, really nothing more than a PR stunt. And so you had the religious leaders, they're wonderful, and everybody looked at them as righteous, and they do all these great things, and they're the teachers. And so what they would do is they'd make this big spectacle about how they were giving, and, and, and then they'd deliver it in this big, you know, extravagant way. And I'm going to give you this to you, so that way everybody could see and applaud me for how great I am. That's how they would do it. It was a PR stunt, and Jesus saw right through it. He saw right through it, and so he rebukes him, and, and he brings a warning to his disciples, and he's, he says to, to his original disciples, but also to us, don't be taken in by that type of righteousness, because it's not righteousness at all. It might look like it, but it's not. And so Jesus, in fact, in, in, the, first, in the first verse, issues two warnings. Uh, the first uh, warning, he says, in the first half of Verse 1 here, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. That's the first warning he gives. Beware of practicing your righteousness in front of, uh, before other people in order to be seen by them. Jesus says that righteousness which is done for the sake of getting approval from other people is not the righteousness he wants to see and his disciples. If you are doing something that, that is a pretty good thing, if you are serving or you're giving or, or you're doing something that, that in and of itself is pretty good, helping other people, but you're doing it so that way other people notice you, you're doing it so that you'll gain praise, Jesus says, that's not righteousness. That's, that's not what I want from my followers. That's not the kind of righteousness that he wants to see in the lives of his believers. He wants to see a righteousness which cares more about what God thinks than what people think. That's what he expects. And so, um, and so that, that's what he calls for. And so his mo the motivations matter. Now, the second half of the verse gives us the second warning. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. He says there are those who, who seek human approval will receive no heavenly reward. That's what Jesus says. Notice that he does not say that they'll receive a reduced heavenly reward. He says they will receive no heavenly reward. He's very clear about it. They're not going to receive a reward for heaven when you, when you do something good for the approval of men. Why? Why would Jesus say that? The answer is because they're not, they don't have a saving faith. They're not in a relationship with God. Or they wouldn't be attempting to manipulate him and to defraud the people of God. Jesus is identifying here one of, one of the spiritual dangers of the religious 
lifestyle. What I mean by the religious lifestyle is being focused on behavior, being focused on actions and ignoring one's heart. And so a a religious person, you know, the Pharisees of Jesus' day were very religious. They cared about, about what they were doing. They cared about how they were perceived, but they ignored the heart, okay? And Jesus approaches it basically from the opposite side. He says, I care about your heart, and when your heart is pure, and when your heart is transformed, you're going to do great things. You're going to do good works. You're going to give generously. But people who are caught up in this, they don't have a saving faith. And it's it's dangerous to pretend to be righteous when you're not. It is dangerous to pretend like you have a saving faith when you don't. And I've got to tell you, we are all tempted to put on a front in front of each other. We really are. And so uh, you can come in on Sunday and you, you can put on this front that you do wonderful things and your life is together and your marriage is wonderful and, and your kids are doing great and everything's perfect and great and your righteousness or and you're righteous and you, you, you behave yourself, you don't involve yourself in any, any sins. And then you leave Sunday afternoon and, and you live a completely different life. You treat your husband and your wife like garbage. You scream at your kids. You're, you're involved in all sorts of sin through the week. And then show up on Sunday morning again the next week, pretend like everything's all right. And we do this. We do this. We want to look good in front of one another. We don't want to invite criticism of our spiritual walk into our lives. We, 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 don't want to, we don't want to present that to other people. And as we do that, what happens is we gradually slip into a hypocritical life. That's what that is. Jesus knows that hypocrisy is a constant problem for his church. He knows that. And he, he knows it, and that's why he addresses it. Now, the word hypocrite and this passage comes from uh, an old Greek word which actually refers to, uh, to actors. And so, you know, someone pretending to be something that, they're, that they really are not. Right? So that fits uh, in the context of acting and stages and theater and all of that business. It does not fit in our context, in, in everyday life. I, I don't want to pretend to be something that I am not. And neither should you unless you're an actor or actress. But when that is... You know, when it's taken from the stage and, and applied into real life, it's a, it's a real problem. And it's dangerous. The problem is, is that this can, we can attempt to deceive our family, our friends, our, our church. And when, when we do this, sometimes we even deceive ourselves. Sometimes we, we trick ourselves into thinking that we actually are righteous just by, by, tr- by tricking ourselves, by this hypocrisy that we get caught up in. No, Christ is making clear that the only thing that matters is what God thinks. It doesn't matter what other people think, and, and that's important for us to remember. We need to ask ourselves in our giving, in our righteous acts, why are we doing this? Why am I giving? Why, why, why am I doing this? Am I doing this for the right reason? Am I giving to be recognized? Am I giving because I think that they'll put a little plaque with my name you know, somewhere in a, in a public spot? Am I giving because they'll, they'll give me a, a little memento for, for being a, a platinum donor or whatever it might be? 
Are we giving to be recognized? Or are we giving because we think it somehow puts God into our debt? See, because a lot of times what happens is religious people or, or hypocrites, they, they'll do a righteous activity, they'll do something that is good, and they'll say, because I did this, God owes me. Because I, I gave this amount, because I contributed to this ministry, God owes me. He needs to bless me. And I'm going to choose how that happens. I've done this for him, and so now he's going to do this for me. And th- that's what we do. Are we giving because, because of the love of God, which has been put in our hearts by the Holy Spirit? Right? Does, our, does our giving bear the marks of genuine Christianity? What about our, our generosity? Is, it, is our generosity, is, is, it, is it really generous? Or are there strings attached? As we, uh, and I'm not just talking about finances, I'm not just talking about financially giving. As you give of your time, or as you give of your talents, or your efforts, or whatever it might be, as you give, is it genuine generosity? Is it, does it come from a, a, a transformed heart? Or are you giving with strings attached? Are you giving so that way God is in your debt, or, or the church is in your debt, or someone else is in your debt? I did this for you, now you owe me. Is our giving grudging or is it cheerful? Is our giving motivated by our love for our Lord or is it motivated out of a desire to manipulate Him so that, so that He is indebted to us? And we need to ask these questions and remember Jesus' warning against hypocrisy. So when we give, when we uh, when we are doing good works, are we really being generous or are we being manipulative? Because sometimes, unfortunately, it's hard to tell the difference. Secondly, we learn, uh, we learn this in verse 2. We must cultivate a genuine spiritual practice of charity or, or generosity. Verse 2 says this, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. Notice notice that Jesus does not say, if you give. He doesn't say that. Jesus says, when you give. It's not a question as to whether his followers are going to give Uh, that's not an option that Jesus leaves open. His assumption is that his followers are going to give, and and that's how he he moves forward. Now, another thing, I don't want you to misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. Jesus does not say, don't give. He says, when you give. Make sure you give for the right reason, right? So he's not saying, don't give under these circumstances. He's saying, when you give, do it for the right reasons. He doesn't say, He doesn't say, don't do good works if anyone else is around who might see it happen. That's not what Jesus says. He just says, he says, don't do it for the purpose of getting other people to praise you, okay? And so some people confuse this. They'll they'll say, well, if if someone's around, I can't do this because of Matthew chapter 6. That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, Jesus, just in the last chapter, in Matthew chapter 5, he told us, um, he told us essentially to be, 
to, to let our light shine before men, right? So we are to do things, and other people should notice. We saw that also in the Beatitudes. But the motivation behind these actions should not be the praise of men. That's the thing. Our motivation cannot be to get praise from the world. It can't be. Jesus is directing us to our motives. And he, he's saying that why we do something is as important as what we do. Our giving, Jesus knows, will call for sacrifice. He understands that. It'll call for self-discipline. It'll call for a self-denial in the Christian life. He assumes that our lives will, will be well-regulated and, and structured and, and will show an increasing uh, kind of a mastery over our desires and, and an increasing ability to give to the Lord. You know, that, that's how Jesus sees it. And he knows that it's going to require effort. It doesn't come naturally to be generous and to give to other people, and, and to, whether that be financially through, or through your own uh, efforts and, and talents and, and time. That doesn't come naturally. Someone says, hey, can you come spend the entire Saturday helping me you know, do this lawn project? Yeah, maybe I don't really feel like doing that, but you might do it anyway because you want to help them, right? It's not going to come naturally. So those who give simply to receive the praise of men will receive their reward, but it's going to happen here. Their reward is the praise of men. And so people who give for the praise of men, when that motivates them, the reward you're going to get, the only reward you're going to get is the clapping that you hear when you first give, is the, hey, good job. Let me put your, let me put your plaque on a wall. You gave a lot of money. Thank you. That's your reward. Okay, Jesus says you're not getting another one. So as Jesus is talking about this, as Jesus is talking about giving and, and generosity and, and more importantly, the motivation behind that, we have, to, we have to evaluate ourselves. We have to ask ourselves about our giving, specifically here at this church. Or, or if you don't go here, then, then you're giving it at your church. The question is, do we give generously? Do we give joyfully and cheerfully? Do we give sacrificially? And do we give because we want to be praised ourselves? Or do we give because we love our Lord? What's the reason behind your giving? Or why do you do it? Do you do it for yourself or do you do it for the Lord? Because the answer to that question matters. It matters. I think that, that if the church, ours included, but, but pretty much every church in America, but I, I think if, if the church were to give as we ought, there would never be an issue. And, and, and I don't say this, I'm not, I'm not looking at, at uh, like extravagance or anything like that, but if, if the church, if Christians gave to the ministries as they ought, then I don't think any church would ever have a stewardship campaign. I don't think there'd ever be budget shortfalls. I don't think there'd be any of that business. I think if Christians gave as they were able for the right reasons because they love their Lord, then I think all of that stuff would take care of itself. Because generosity would be there. Graciousness would be there. We need, to, we need to, to consider giving and generosity as a spiritual issue, not as a business transaction. We're not purchasing something. We're giving. And, and I know that that sounds 
crazy, and I know that that's radical, but as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus constantly is raising the bar. And this church, specifically, um, is, is incredibly rich in resources and has been incredibly generous. But to be honest, if, if we were to give, as Jesus describes it here, Again, there would, there would never be an issue of, do we have enough to do what God has called us to do? And no one's looking for extravagance or, or any of that craziness with uh, marble floors and, and all of that stuff. We're not looking for extravagance. We're looking to do what God has called us to do. But we have to look at it also as not just from the perspective of the church. Look at it individually and ask yourself your individual questions and i can't answer this for you but how is your giving have you have you asked yourself am i generous am i cheerful am i sacrificial am i giving because i want to glorify god and enjoy him forever am i giving because it's a spiritual issue and it's a form of worship or am i attempting to buy something am i attempting to manipulate someone Am I attempting to put God in my debt? These are questions we have to ask ourselves. We have to evaluate this because it, it can reveal sin in your life. The final truth that we see is that we must give for the opportunity to praise our Heavenly Father. Giving is an opportunity for worship. And, and again, I, I'm not just talking about financial giving. I'm talking about giving of, of whatever it is that you may have, what you may be able to offer. Christ teaches in this passage that the real Christian is motivated in his giving by a clear and intentional desire to worship their Father in heaven and to please Him, to bring Him joy. We see this in verses 3 and 4, which say this, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus shows here that our relationship to God and to others in our own personal spiritual state are connected. This is all reflected in our attitudes towards giving, especially giving to the poor. And so essentially what Jesus is doing here is he's connecting, uh, we, we would call this spiritual maturity, with generosity. Someone who is spiritually mature is going to be generous. Okay, it, that's how you can boil it down there. There's someone who loves Jesus and is spiritual mature and is growing and is being discipled and, and they've given their, their heart to Christ and, and they're, uh, they're doing incredible things, that person is going to be extremely generous. They just are. Jesus teaches that when we give, we're to forget about others and their opinion of us. And we're even to forget about ourselves. Again, Jesus raises the bar. This is difficult. And so um, our left hand is not to think about what the right hand is doing. The picture is um, at, at the offering in the synagogues, and actually some churches have these today. We, do, we don't have them, but uh, there would be like a big stand, and back then it would be kind of a plate. But a lot of churches will have a stand with a box, with an offering box. And so the picture Jesus is giving here is as you walk by this, uh, this offering box that might be, might be placed in the hallway, you just subtly drop your gift into that box and, and you really make no other, you know, there, there's no other sign that you're giving. 
right, so that your left hand wouldn't know that your right hand had just done that. That's what he's saying. Be discreet and humble about it. Jesus is saying, don't give to pat yourself on the back. And this, this is like the other things that, that he talked about in Matthew chapter 5, nearly impossible. Because if we're going to give to a good cause, we're going to do a good thing, a lot of times what we're going to do is pat ourselves on the back and puff ourselves up. Jesus says don't do that. He addresses two, two of the many types of hypocrisy in this passage. And the first kind is the person who gives because he wants to be praised by other people. But the other kind is the one and, and to be honest, I think we struggle with this one more often, and that is with self-praise. I did this thing. That was really good of me. I made this huge sacrifice. I'm wonderful. I'm great. Look how generous I am. Look how humble I am. It's self-praise. We, we do this to pat ourselves on the back and feel good about the fact that, that we have done some duty and, and again, almost feel, like, almost feel like God owes us for doing that. Like, like somehow he is then in, indebted to us. It, it's possible to gain all our rewards by self-praise, just like it is to gain all of our rewards by the praise of others. If we do something and we say, wow, that was, that was great, I, I really, man, I, I really knocked that one out of the park. I am, I am incredible. Good work. That might be your only reward. Jesus is saying, pursue the favor of God, the reward of God, and the pleasure of God. Not your own pleasure and not the opinions of others. Pursue His favor, His rewards, and His pleasure. Jesus addresses the problem of the Pharisees. And their, their problem is um, that religiously, they think that they can earn their way into fellowship with God. They think that, that by behavior modification and, and doing these external actions, these empty religious uh, acts, that they can kind of force themselves into a fellowship with God, that they can earn his favor and manipulate him and, and put him into their debt. Jesus as a person who thinks that way does not understand their own heart and they don't understand the gospel. In fact, their fundamental problem is, is that the hypocrite does not know, the hypocrite does not know that God is his father. From verses 1 to 18, Jesus repeats, repeats the word father ten times. He's pointing out that they don't understand that God is their heavenly father. And that, so they attempt to manipulate him. The hypocrite is insecure before God. He has to be. He has to be. He doesn't know that God is his father, so he seeks his security by manipulating those around him to praise him for being faithful or religious. He finds religious security by getting other people to think that he's religious. This is what hypocrisy does. The hypocrite is fake in his spiritual activities before men because he's actually fake in his relationship with God. There's no real relationship there. It's empty behavior. He still has a wicked heart. And to be honest, 
this is the overlooked uh, message in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. The older brother, this is one of the most famous parables uh, uh, parables that Jesus ever told, and, and it's, you know, the son, he takes his inheritance, he runs away, he makes a bunch of terrible, sinful, awful decisions, and then he finds himself, he, he can't even eat, uh, he's, he's in a, a laying with the pigs, and he decides he's going to come back and work for his dad. He comes back and is uh, thinking that maybe his father will, will give him a job, and his father comes and sees him from far off, hugs him, gives him a ring, and uh, just has this party, and it's wonderful. But the prodigal son has an older brother who never left. And the forgotten message of the prodigal son is that the older brother, when the, when the, when the prodigal returns and the party's going on, the older brother has this grudge, not necessarily for his brother, but towards his father. And he says, essentially, I'm paraphrasing here, he says, I have slaved for you and you have never given me this kind of a party. I stayed. I, I didn't go do what my brother did, and you've never celebrated me. He suspects that his father is not concerned about his best interests, and he suspects, thinks, that he has to work for his father's love. He thinks that he has to manipulate his father into caring for him and loving him. He doesn't understand who his father is. He doesn't understand his father's love. That's the forgotten message of the prodigal son. It's that hypocrisy, this feeling that we have to earn God's love. And that if I just do this thing, then God is now in my debt. He has to be good to me. He has to love me more. He has to forgive this sin because I did this. See, the Pharisees' view of God is reflected in that older brother and the prodigal son. But I have to tell you, it's not just the, the Pharisees who are reflected in that. Oftentimes, it is people who have, have been Christians for a long time and have forgotten or have distanced themselves from the gospel. And they've involved themselves in this hypocrisy, trying to cover up their brokenness and the sin in their lives from other Christians that they share life with. See, the older brother and the prodigal son isn't just the Pharisees. Sometimes it's us. Everyone attempts to manipulate God into loving them and caring for them. Anyone who does that does not understand the heart of our God. We don't understand him. So then the question is, as we look at all of this, again, why do you give of your time? Why do you help other people? Why do you care for the poor? Why does that matter to you? Why do you want to help someone? Why do you want to give financially to a ministry or, or a missionary who's overseas? Or to your church? And what's the reward that God gives to the secret giver? When God gives this reward, if, 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 if we give to receive the praise of men, and that's our reward, and if I give over here so that way I can pat on my back and that's my reward, then what's the reward that God gives the one who gives with the right motivation? And I believe it's, it's really the, um, the only reward that genuine love wants when they, when they give to a need. And that's to see that need met. When, when through his gifts... The hungry are fed, the naked are clothed, the sick are healed, the oppressed are freed, and the lost are saved. 
When, when through our gifts, God works, people are saved. Again, the hungry are fed. The homeless find a, find a place to stay. When, when God works through us, that's incredible. When God uses us for his glory and to meet real needs of, of broken and hurting people, that's an incredible gift. It's an incredible gift that we receive from our Lord. The love that prompts the gift is satisfied by God the Father. This love is God's own love expressed through man, brings with its, with its own secret joys and desires that there's no other reward that can even come close. When, you, when you're able to, to help someone in that way because you love that person and you love your Lord and that need is met, there's no other reward that's crazy. Somebody can stand behind you and clap and it'll mean nothing. Let me close with this. Christian giving is not to be before men. It's not for other people. You, you, we should never give anticipating the clapping that's going to happen afterwards. But we shouldn't even give for ourselves. We shouldn't even seek to pat ourselves on the back. Our left hand should never applaud the right. But we should give for, for God. We should give for Him out of, out of a love for Him uh, because He sees our heart and rewards us with the discovery that, as Jesus said, it is more blessed to, to give than to receive. And when we truly give for the right reasons, Jesus is absolutely correct. It's, it's far greater to be able to give than it is to receive something. To give to the cause of Christ, to give to the poor, and to give as you have never given before. Look, if, if, you, don't, if you don't know God the Father, if you don't have a relationship with Him, I'm going to charge you as, as we close or, or even as the worship team is singing, uh, to pray to him through Jesus Christ right as we're closing the service. If you don't know how to do that, then you can come see me or come see one of our elders or, or the team that's going to be over by the, the prayer wall. And, and we would love to, to show you how to pray to God the Father through the finished work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you don't understand this generosity and don't understand what Jesus is saying or how we can have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, I'd love to answer those questions and, and you're not making any commitment. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for, um, for today and, and God, thank you for the opportunity to, to open your word and to, to read it and to grow and, and God, we thank you that we thank you that that our righteousness and our salvation is not based on our own behavior. God, because we would fail. There's no way that we could accomplish it. We know that we couldn't save ourselves by our own good works because, as you say, our, our good works are like filthy rags. Father, we pray that, that this would be a church that loves you and does great things for your glory for the right reasons. And Father, we pray that we would be generous with our with our, our, our finances, with our time, with our efforts, with our talents. Pray that we would care for those around us, our families and our friends and, and even strangers and even our enemies. And God, we pray that if there's someone in here who doesn't know you, doesn't know what it means to have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ, we pray that you would lead them over to the prayer wall. 
or where we would have the opportunity to talk with them and open up the scripture with them and pray with them. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we worship you. And we pray these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.